Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. Good morning. Good morning, and a, a happy Martin Luther King Jr. weekend to you. I hope, uh, I hope a few of you have a day off tomorrow. I know I do. And that'll be nice. <laughs> uh, my kids do and everything. But anyway, um, hey, I'm, my name is Josh. I'm um, one of the pastors here. My role is the discipleship pastor. And uh, it is such an honor to open the scriptures with you as we start this year off together. Even talking about dragons. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been talking about a, a fairly obscure portion of scripture. Okay, it's, you know, it's 23 verses that we've spent these three weeks on uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And 1 Samuel kind of acts as like a, a history book for Israel. And, uh, and in this, it tells these stories. Now, these stories are not told uh, as like necessarily teaching opportunities, what we're doing. They're told as history. And yet from this, there's so much that we can pull out of. And that's why I'm really excited to open up the scriptures. But I thought that the title of There Might Be Dragons is such a great one to start the year. Because I think ever since we started 2020, we've been starting years a little bit more skeptical. Right? Do you remember how optimistic we were in 2020? We're like, oh, this decade's going to be great. Whoops. And now every year we're kind of like, please, 2023, come on, come on, Lord, please. Um, and that's how we are, but the fact is there, there might be dragons <laughs> in our future. In other words, there might be something unknown, there's going to be risk involved and all that. And the real question that I have for you today that I think our text is asking us is actually what kind of leader are you going to be in 2023? What kind of leader are you going to be? Now, for those of you who think to yourselves, well, I'm not a leader, um, stick with me. Because I actually thoroughly believe that God has placed you, has gifted you in such a way that you are called by him to lead in the spheres that he's put you in and in the area of your giftedness that he's called you to be a leader and that you can make an impact for his kingdom. And so... I want to ask the question, how can you lead? And I think the scriptures are asking this as well, because this is a passage uh, that, that talks all about leadership. In fact, I, I think that this, uh, this whole passage of scripture, um, really from First uh, Samuel chapter 13 to 15, is a comparison of two leaders. In fact, um, as I've studied this passage, we've got Saul, who is the king who is supposed to lead. And he, time after time, fails at his leadership role. And then there's Jonathan, the one who doesn't have the title, and yet he's the one who leads. And so this is, in a sense, gonna be a bit of a, a leadership lesson. But I have to point out that um, the more I've done this, the, the more that I've studied it, the more I, I, I've been a little bit, uh, well, I've gotten to, to really love Jonathan a lot, but I've been a little bit bummed that he didn't get to be king. And I kind of feel sad for the guy because first um, he was, you know, he was the prince. He was heir to the throne and he never gets there because of his father's sin, sins. But the other part is, as we read scripture, it seems like he would have been a really good king. 
He would have been, I mean, he was strategic and, and, and he, he was faithful and he was wise. He was a self-starter and he was really, really humble. And then we'll compare, this, these passages compare him to Saul, who's, who's foolish and capricious and superstitious and prideful. And so the question I think that we're left with is, what kind of leader are we going to be? Are we going to be like Saul or like Jonathan? And so today, what we're going to talk about is instead of seven habits of a highly effective person, we're going to talk about seven, seven habits of a highly ineffective leader, particularly Saul. Okay, so uh, we're going to learn from Saul. Now, I don't want to leave you with just the bad. And so I want to, I want to, I want to show you what, what Jonathan does that's different, that's unique. And so we've got a lot to cover, and so I want to dive right in with our passage. Last week, and uh, sorry I can't fill you in, if you missed the last few weeks, you have to go watch it online, um, but uh, we've been telling this story, and Jonathan is in a bit of a tricky situation. He had a plan that I told you last week I think is an awful plan, unless God is involved in a plan, okay? And so fortunately, God is involved in this plan. And so verse 12, this is what we ended with last week. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. They're taunting Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Jonathan takes this as a sign that God has given them into their hands. He said, tells them that, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. Just that statement of Jonathan ascending a cliff. Okay, this is free climbing, no ropes. This is climbing a cliff on his hands and feet. Can't hold a shield, can't hold a sword, can't attack. This is a act of faith right here. And we don't know exactly how they got up there unseen. We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe the Philistines kind of, you know, was taunting them and thought they're never going to actually do it. And so they might've turned their backs. I don't know. However, what we do know is that the text tells us right after this, that, and they fell before Jonathan. So they get up there to the top and sure enough, this garrison of, of army is there and they attack him, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a furrow's length of an acre of land, okay? In a decent sized area, okay? Uh, and there was a panic in the camp and in the field and among the, all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. This is the, the, Jonathan kicks this off, right? He, he goes and makes this daring thing and then they start going crazy. <laughs> the raiders trembled. But then the earth quaked. Now there's some, the scholars who kind of disagree about how and why the earth quaked. Maybe it's because they all got into their horses and started trampling. And you know, if there's a lot of people do that, the earth kind of shakes a little bit. However, there's a phrase here. Uh, it, it, the Hebrew here for very great is actually the word Elohim. That's actually, that's the word for God. And it's almost like they're saying an act of God happened. It was an act of God panic. You know, and even our insurance carriers call earthquakes acts of God, right? (laughs) So sure enough, I, I think 
that, that God here sent an earthquake to just make it even more chaotic. But God's role in this is the one who does the work here. However, it's Jonathan's leadership in this that we're going to be looking at. And so the first lesson that we see, the first habit of an ineffective leader is to let fear paralyze you. Okay? And actually, we've been learning that, that lesson over the last few weeks. That's where Saul is. He's in a cave where Jonathan is out acting. But here's the way I want to say it for us today. Leaders don't let fear paralyze. They allow faith to mobilize. They step out in faith. In fact, this is a way maybe to summarize last week's message, right? That, that we're to be people of faithful action, that we step out in faith. And that's exactly what Jonathan did and yet, we've been talking about this message, this, this idea of stepping out in faith. We've been seeing Jonathan do that at a time when, as a church and as, as a new year, it's a great opportunity for us to take steps of new faith. And one of the things that we've invited a lot of people into is, is stepping out to lead, to taking a daring step even when they don't know. In fact, there's a bunch of people who have signed up to be life group leaders. And they're kind of like, um, I don't know, are people going to come? I want you to hear a story of someone who did that a few years ago and just want you to hear some of the success that they've had. Here they are. I'm Ryan. And I'm Mariah. And we have been leading a life group at Emmanuel Faith for uh, two years now, since 2020. I really wanted to start a life group. And I said, Ryan, I want to start a life group. I think we could do that. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And we didn't tell anyone about it. Um, about a week later, maybe, I received a text message from an old friend saying, hey, we're back at Emmanuel Faith. We're looking for a life group. Do you know of one? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> the way the rest of our group has come about has just been very fluid, very casual, word of mouth. And we just um, give that to the Lord and give praise to that because I just think that's the spirit working and bringing community together. The dynamic of the group is, is really something special because I think we all bring something unique to the table, um, but at the same time we all relate uh, with the fact that we're going through the same stage of life. Uh, but it's so, it's so beneficial to us uh, and hopefully to the, to the rest of the group uh, just to have that different perspective and different outlook. And it never helps to have some extra prayer, support, and encouragement, especially when you're raising small children. <laughs> We're very passionate about life groups um, beginning and spreading because it's been really exciting to see the community of Emmanuel Faith um, coming together. And like we've been learning so many new members, like new mm -hmm. people, um, just in the past couple months even. And that's really exciting for us. And it's exciting because it's people that we are in the same life stage with and we can bounce ideas off of each other as far as parenting, but also like what the word says about this, that, and the other, and or how you interpret something. One of the coolest parts about being in a life group is that our spiritual needs are being met uh, in addition to our physical needs. So it's really nice to have that, those extra um, helping hands, um, especially this stage in life, uh, you know, where we can bring each other meals if needed. We, we can bring each other diapers uh, <laughs> if they need it. <laughs> Um, and we have people to, to do life with, godly people that we can help to build each other up and, uh, and grow in the word. I really encourage you to get involved in the life group, depending on where you 
where you need to connect with people because it's it's really been awesome for us. Join a life group. <laughs> or she'll be angry. <laughs> oh, that's right. Sophia stole the, the, the show there. I don't know if the Andrews are in here or not, but um, um, they're, they're a couple that have stepped out and you know, their faith has mobilized them, right? And because of that, now they're actually mobilizing people and inviting people to step into this. And so uh, there's a number of people out there who are doing that. And I actually, I wanna ask you to, to do something right now. If you're out there and you have, uh, you've signed up to be a brand new leader um, for This Is Our Story starting next week, or you've been a life group leader, some of you have been life group leaders for 20, 30 years. Um, whatever that is, I wanna invite you to stand up right now and we wanna recognize you. So I know I see some of you in there. Would you stand up? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the place. You guys, both services have been like this. And so, I, in fact, I wanna just pray for you. I wanna pray over you. Lord, I ask that you, that you would give these leaders oh, the response that people would follow so that they can have a, a similar experience. It won't be the same, but Lord, I pray that people would step up, that would join, and it would do life with them so that they can connect together. Lord, would you use them in their leadership? Thank you that you allowed them to allow their faith to be mobilized into action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, leaders. Um, now, and the good news is too, if you just saw one of them stand and you're not in a group, um, you might just wanna ask them after the service, like, hey, can I join your group? They, they, the worst thing I can say is, is no, we're full. Um, and, uh, um, and so this is the way that we step into leadership. And actually, one of, the, one of the people that needs the most leadership in my life is me. That I actually need to lead myself in this. And some of us, the step of leadership is to, to do the next right thing. Saul, on the other hand, didn't quite have that. On, in the watchman of Saul, okay, who Saul looks to the watchman in Gibeah of Benjamin, when they looked and saw, okay, what they looked and saw was the chaos that they just, just experienced, right? Okay, the earthquake happened and all of the Philistine forces are dispersing. Behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Now, just want you to point out something. Saul sees it all happening from the vantage point of his cave, He's hiding. All of this is happening. What Saul does is react. He reacts and, and eventually he does take advantage of this opportunity, but he kind of got lucky that someone else was bold enough to step out and lead. And what we can learn from this together is that leaders aren't people who just react to the moment. They are people who create the moment, who work to create the moment. That's what leaders do. And that's what some of you leaders who have stepped out and said, I'm going to lead a group. What you're doing is creating a moment. You're creating an opportunity for others to, to join in. It's not just waiting. It's creating a moment. I, you know, I, I can't help but think about Jesus 
in the way that he created moments. You know, sometimes I've tempted to think about his miracles as sort of like um, just opportunities for him to say, hey, everybody, look at me. Um, And while, you know, it seems like that sometimes, um, I don't think that's at all what he's doing. In fact, often what he's doing is using a miracle to create a moment for a teaching opportunity, right? So, you know, for instance, uh, feeding the 5,000. People are hungry. They're about to leave. Well, you know, what better way to get them to stay and listen than to give them food, right? We've, we've learned that from him. And so the question is, what moment do you need to create as a leader? Maybe it's a leader in your family. Maybe it's a moment of gathering people together around a meal. Maybe it's a, me, a, a, a moment of starting a conversation. Maybe it's a moment in your workplace or whatever that is. What is that moment? But notice that Saul is still reacting. He sees the chaos and starts trying to figure out what happened. It says, then Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan, his armor bearer and his armor bearer were not there. Okay, <laughs> get this, you guys. Saul had no idea who had started this, this mess. So Saul doesn't know where his kid is. This right here is the moment that Saul lost the dad of the year award. He didn't realize that his own child was in the other army, right? He's in danger right now. Saul didn't realize this. And I'm sure there's a lesson here about how we need more moms on the battlefield or something like that. Because my wife would know where my kids are all the time, even when someone doesn't. Uh, And yet this is, so Saul had to count 600 men before realizing that it's his own child that was gone. And it got me thinking, not so much that, I mean, there's there's probably a, a ton of lessons there. But it got me thinking about what kind of leader Jonathan knew his dad to be. Jonathan must have known that his dad was not a guy that's going to listen to his ideas. Jonathan must have known that his dad was going to do it his way no matter what he said. That Jonathan's idea would not have been heard. That he would have shut him down. Because Saul was king and he's in charge. He was the authority. You see, I think what it shows us is that Saul, Saul was a, a micromanager. And it doesn't take too many leadership books to tell you that that kind of leadership isn't the kind of leadership that people want to follow, right? And so the lesson that we can learn is that leaders don't micromanage. They trust others to lead. They trust others to lead. And y'all, this is the thing that... Uh, This is the thing that we learned from Jesus time and time again. Last week, we learned about Jesus, that he has commissioned us on a co-mission, right? That we are together in this. But the very fact that he has given you the authority to go and make disciples, he's put this in your hands, meaning this is the way he went about it. He's not up micromanaging everything that we do. He actually trusts you that you can lead. And then he goes a step further. Do you realize that he has given the, the leadership of his church, okay? 
myself, other pastors here, as much as we try to lead, we have been given a job description in Ephesians. It says this, Ephesians 4 says, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, okay, those aren't us so much, but okay, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that's a little bit closer to us. He gave, Christ gave all these roles so that they can do all the work and make sure that you all are really comfortable time listening to worship, right? I think sometimes we read it this way, that he gave these for the work of service. So you're going, people talk about going into church service. So you're going into the work of the ministry. Well, I, I left out a very crucial part of this passage. Because actually it says that he gave teachers, pastor teachers to equip his people for the work of service. That my job, our job, as leadership is to equip others. It's to give it away. It's to actually trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit that God can speak to you and that you can lead, that you can do the work of ministry. It's not reliant on me or Pastor Ryan or, or anyone else. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. That's what he's saying Christian leadership is really all about. We're called, called to equip and entrust leadership to you. And so one of the things that uh, we're doing in this, um, this six-week series where we've recruited a bunch of leaders to step up and lead, one of the things that we've noticed is that some leaders have said, yes, I'd love to lead, but I can only do six weeks. I, and that's it. I'm done after six weeks. And then I know this. And I, I really hope this also. I hope that there's people in those groups who say to themselves, well, I really like this group. I want you to stay with us. Now, that you might think that's a problem. But I don't think it's a problem at all. Because what I'm telling those leaders who are saying, I only have six weeks because I've got other responsibilities or I'm leading another group because there's some leaders who are crazy enough to lead two groups during this time. Um, bless you. Thank you. Uh, what I'm telling those leaders is to start from day one, looking for who is going to replace you. Who's going to be the one that's going to step up after you? Who's going to rise up? You see, this is what Saul never did. His son had so much leadership potential, and it seems like he was overlooked. He wasn't listened to. His dad was micromanaging all the, all the things. And so... We need to be different. On the other hand, Saul, what he was doing is looking to his advisors. And so it says, so Saul said to Ahijah, okay, we're going to stop right there. Um, because Ahijah, I, I just have to point out something about this character that Saul all of a sudden is talking to. The, the one that Saul is getting advice from, the, the circle of trust in Saul's world is Ahijah. But our scripture authors, our, our, the narrator of this section earlier in the chapter, he, he makes sure to point out that in, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 2, makes sure to tell us, goes kind of out of his way to say that, that Ahijah is a relative of Eli, who Eli's line was rejected. Eli's priestly line because of his kids and everything, it, God rejected him as a priest. And then he's also related to Ichabod. Ichabod's name means the glory is departed. How would you like to be a priest whose name is the glory of God is departed? 
you know what? That's not the best priest to follow. And I, I have to believe that our, our, our narrator here went out of the way to explain that, to point out that Ahijah is not a good influence. He's not helping the situation. And sure enough, I think this is a problem that leaders get into, that we start surrounding ourselves with people that agree with us all the time. People that say, yes, whatever you say, sir. Right? That, that we, we end up talking to people and want to associate with people that only agree with us. And this is a huge problem. I think some people even do it in churches. They go to a church that will agree with them, that won't challenge them. They won't challenge their thinking, won't challenge them to get up and act and do something. But just feed their mind. This is a problem with all of us. And trouble comes when leaders surround themselves with yes people. So the truth is that leaders don't endure yes people. They embrace criticism. And more particularly, critical thinking. Thinking differently. We really need that. This is why we need, we need men and women. We need a diversity of, of, of ethnicities. We need different perspectives so that we can think differently about things. We desperately need that. I'll never forget, there was a teacher that taught me that early on. Taught me to think critically. Taught me to think for myself. She was my fourth grade teacher. I'll never forget her. Her name was Mrs. Woodbury. And Mrs. Woodbury, uh, her her and her husband um, served in Afghanistan as missionaries. I have to admit to you, I don't know if she had any teaching credential when she taught. In fact, I think her methods went against all teaching rules um, and anything that was taught that way. I know that I've asked my wife, who's a teacher, and she said that you would just never do this in class. However, she was one of the best teachers I've ever had. Mrs. Woodbury would, uh, every day in her class, different times throughout the day, she would intentionally say something wrong. She'd be teaching us and she would say, it the, say the wrong fact, the, you know, it would just be dead wrong. And we were encouraged as students to stand up when we heard it and say, excuse me, Mrs. Woodbury, I think what you said was wrong. She asked nine-year-olds to correct her in class. She encouraged it. And oh my goodness, I loved it. Ah, I thought, oh my goodness. I listened more closely than anything else. I was ready and looking and I wanted to be the first to stand up. And you know, she, she taught me that, that my ideas matter and that, that she's not afraid of, of, of criticism and, and she can embrace the differences. And sometimes I'd stand up and she'd be like, no, actually, Josh, that's right. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, okay, okay, fine. Um, And so I don't know how she managed a group of nine-year-olds like that, but she did, and I love her for it. But Saul couldn't do that. He had to have yes people around him. And so he says to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, what's happening here is that uh, Saul is getting his yes man, 
the priest he's chosen. Oh, by the way, um, this priest, uh, Ahijah, is there and not Samuel. Samuel had just challenged had just challenged Saul the chapter before. In the chapter after, he's going to challenge Saul again. And, and you wonder why Saul didn't want Samuel around. Because he couldn't put up with the, the criticism. He couldn't put up with the challenge. And so here Ahijah is, the guy who's going to do anything he says. And Saul says to Ahijah, uh, go get the ark. Now, the ark, in Saul's eyes, I, I believe, in Saul's eyes, he saw the ark as kind of a magic instrument. It was actually the very presence of God um, on earth, right? It was where God dwelt in this ark that they would carry around. And and Saul knew enough to know that wherever the ark went, if it was, you know, an enemy, that trouble trouble happened when the ark was there. And wherever, if they took the ark somewhere, then, then they were successful. And so here I think what Saul's doing is saying, I need a miracle, Okay, that's, that's a good thing. However, the way he went about it was a bit manipulative. If I just get the ark here, then God has to help us. What he's doing is trying to rely on something spectacular instead of the way that God normally works. See, one of the, principle that we learn here, one of the habits of a bad leader is to rely on spectacular. But leaders, we, we can't do that. Instead, we need to build on the slow, build on slow, steady faithfulness. That's what we are called to. Every now and again, maybe something spectacular might happen. But I, I got to tell you, most of my life is the slow, steady at least I'm trying. Uh, we can't rely on a miracle every time. We can't rely on the spectacular. And this is true um, in all sorts of areas. We can't rely on a miracle to fix the problem in our family. We can't just, just hope that something else will happen. Sometimes we just have to do the hard work. And what we need is slow, steady faithfulness. It reminds me of um, the, the rain that we're experiencing uh, these days, right? Because um, you guys notice it rained? <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. This is Southern California. Um, by the way, um, in Seattle, they, they say that people um, don't come to church when it doesn't rain. <laughs> Whereas here, everyone's like, I don't know what to do with the rain. And so we, like, we're scared to go out. And fortunately, we got a little bit of reprieve uh, today. But uh, we don't know what to do with rain. And yet we know we need it, right? We're like, come on, God, we live in Southern California. It's not supposed to rain here. Um, And yet we know we need the rain. But one of the things that we're tempted to think is that, um, well, thank God, it rained a lot. And so the drought is over. We want to proclaim it. We want to water our grass now. We want to like finally say that it's okay, but, but all the, the experts are telling us, right? You'll, you'll hear it all over the news and everything that, that we're still in a drought. And we think, what in the world? Why? And it's because we actually need more of the steady rain, not the, not the flood, the flash flood. We need more constant rain. In fact, there was a, a pastor, author that tweeted this just this last week. He said this. What a drought-afflicted soul most needs is not a single event. It's not the spectacular. 
Not even a spiritual downpour. But the routine reigns of grace. Spiritual practices, ordinary means of communing with Christ and his saints. That gradually re-irrigates the water table of our soul. This is what we need. We need the slow, steady faithfulness. Doing life together. Doing life with God. I want to hear from one of uh, a couple of our saints from our church who've been doing this for quite a long time. And I want you to catch the joy that they experience because of the slow, steady faithfulness of leading a life group for more than 20 years. This is Richard and Margie Oliver. Oh. Let's, uh, we'll do that again, maybe. That looks good. That looks good, right? Hi, my name is Margie Oliver. This is my husband, Richard. And we've been leading a life group at Emmanuel Faith since 2009. Well, what makes our group unique, I suppose, is just the fact that um, we totally enjoy being with one another and caring for each other. We spend life together. We have a heck of a lot of fun together. We have a big fancy Christmas dinner every year. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and we, we plan for fun. And that pulls people together. And I think that is a really, really important thing in a life group and certainly has been in ours over the years. Exactly, because families are like that. Families enjoy each other. They have fun together. They uh, laugh together. They weep together. They cry together. They praise the Lord together. Um, so this is just an extension of our own individual families. It's our collective family. In doing life, we've had also two deaths in our group over the years. And we've, we've cared for each other during that time. And it was very special, and it still is. And we are very, very bonded. Um, it's not just about going to a Bible study on Wednesday night. Our group is about going to family. It's a family gathering on Wednesday evenings, and the Bible and um, the Lord is the center of our um, reason for doing so, but we, we really love one another. Life groups are essential for growing your faith because when you're living with people who are of faith and you go through all the things that life has to offer and to challenge you with, it is so nice to be able to have that support from people who will pray for you, who will uh, understand what you need. When we think about our circle of friends, our circle of friends is our small group. I love that. It's the slow, steady faithfulness of meeting together every week. You know, um, th this is the last time that I get, to, I get to encourage you to do this before we start next week. So I know it sounds like I'm, I'm pushing this on you, but once again, this is, not, this is not because we get anything out of this, right? 
I want to invite you to, to, to join one of these. This is a part of the way that we do this. We grow together in community. And so if you haven't already, go efcc.org slash groups, or you can, there's an app you can get to, to sign up right there. Um, outside here, there's going to be places, um, people that can tell you more about it. We'd love to have you join. But now I got to get, I got to get through the rest of this. So um, we got a bunch to talk through. Saul was talking to the priests, okay, um, his yes person. The tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Okay, now all of a sudden he's changing his mind. Saul's like, um, just kidding. Don't go get the ark. Now withdraw your hand. Basically saying, um, I don't need God's blessing anymore. Okay, this is, this is the, the level of idiocy of Saul's leadership here. Um, but then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied. Okay, now um, I want you to just notice that Saul and the people were rallied. Saul did not rally the people. Jonathan had done that by his actions. It wasn't Saul. It just so happens that they take advantage of this and they went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow. And there was great confusion. The confusion gets worse because now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines, okay, they were like turncoats. Saul's leadership was so bad that even his own people were joining the Philistine side. But as soon as they see that God's in this, now the Hebrew people start rebelling. And, uh, And even they turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, when the men of Israel, okay, the men who had hidden in the caves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Even to Beth-Avon was where the Philistines came from. So they pushed them all the way back. The Lord did this work. Israel doesn't get credit. Saul definitely doesn't get credit. Not even Jonathan gets credit here. It was the Lord who did it all. And yet, he used, he used a fairly young man named Jonathan. Who instead of hiding in fear, stepped out. And inspired a nation to get behind him. He inspired a nation. You see, what Saul was doing was encouraging apathy. But leaders don't do that. They inspire action. They inspire action. This is what the Christian life is all about. You see, we can so much, we can sometimes even get like so focused on learning, okay, which is great. But we can learn so many great things. And I love, I love, I love that, you, that you're like, like taking notes and learning. But, but y'all, here's the thing that we, we just got to realize that learning can just lead to apathy if it's not applied. If we don't live it out, that, that, it, that it's supposed to inspire us to act, to live on it. And sadly, in the church, we have been seen as apathetic to a lot of the problems in our world and a lot of the things going on. And all I can say is we need to be people of action the way Jonathan was. We've got to learn how to do that. That is how Jesus led. 
And this gets me to the final point, because I, I have to admit that in a lot of these, you could replace kind of maybe the faith language and they can apply to the business world and things like that. However, I, I think there's something unique about what's going on here in our call to action. And that is not just what we do, but it's the way we do it. Okay, it's not the, the ends that happen. It's the means. Because the way that we lead is the most important thing. God is responsible for the outcomes. We are responsible for the way that we go about it. And this is why, where Christian leaders need to be different. We need to be drastically different. Christian leadership is not Christian if it doesn't look like Jesus. It's just not And so what we learn from that is that a highly ineffective leader would just go around imitating all of the successful business leaders. The way I would put it is they would just imitate CEOs, but Christian leaders, they lead like Jesus. Jesus is our model for leadership. You see, we're not disciples of leadership gurus. We're not disciples of the people who wrote the latest parenting guide for how to lead your family. That's not what we are. We follow Jesus. And so just in case you thought that this sermon was for someone else, I just want to point out that more of you are leaders than you think. That God has put you in a sphere of influence. He's put people around you and I think he's calling you to lead to step out in faithful action. And that God has equipped each of you to be leaders in your sphere and in your area of unique giftedness. That you may be a leader in your home or your school or a workplace or your family or or with friends. And, And you may have a position of leadership and you may not. And that doesn't really matter. But the truth is that you have influence. All of us have influence. And this is what I want you to hear, that our model of leadership is Jesus's model, no matter what that is. Sometimes I hear people say, I'm just not a leader. And I think that maybe they're saying that because they have the wrong idea of what a leader is. They think think that that, a leader is like a CEO in in a big corporation or the boss who tells everybody what to do and has all the answers. And can I just say that that's just not the way Jesus lived. That, that's just, that's not his model. And so, yes, he, he's all about leadership. And yes, there's even leadership in the home that is important, but it, it doesn't look like a CEO who's the authoritarian who tells everyone what to do. It looks like the servant leader, Jesus. It's the one who led with grace, who led in love led with forgiveness, reconciliation, led in a different way than the world leads. And so whether you're a mother, father, husband, wife, who's felt called to be a spiritual leader in your family, a grandparent who's leading families in different ways than you used to, a volunteer leader at church, or whatever that is, I want to just ask, does your leadership look more like the world or more like Jesus? 
This is where we can be different. Parents, is your leadership more authoritarian like a CEO or more loving and grace-filled? Are you leading the way Jesus led who led by getting on his knees and washing the feet of his followers? No matter what, no matter what kind of leader you are, no matter what kind of position you have or don't have, I plead you, to lead the way Jesus led, who is Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He, he God, humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. That. That is our leader. He leads us, and now we're to lead others that way. That's our calling. So Lord God, we pray a blessing over each person in here, over each sphere of influence that you have placed them in, and we pray that you would help them, call them to lead the way you would have them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.